Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at highfivecasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. That's our one and only super producer, Max Williams, over there. I'm Ben. Uh, Noel, I got to ask you, what's your, when's the last time you went to Alabama? Well, I lived in Alabama for a time in what? the Iron City of Birmingham, Alabama, uh, known for its uh, historical production of iron. Uh, there's a big statue of Vulcan, the uh, I believe the Roman god of fire, uh, and therefore the forge. Uh, that's a big feature in, in downtown Birmingham, Alabama. And there's a real cool, like disused ironworks called Sloss Furnaces, where they actually do concerts. I think they still do it, but I went to like a like a metal type festival there called Furnace Fest back in the day. So I'm a little bit familiar with Alabama. The main export of Birmingham wasn't really historically cotton, though, uh, which is definitely something that a lot of the other parts of the state relied on heavily historically. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I wasn't where you live there. I'm going to have to pick your brains about it later. I, I just I, I know we got to get on with the show, but uh, what, what time period in your life was this? Both of my brains? You're gonna. That's very kind of you, Ben. You're really giving me a lot left of left and right. Uh, oh, I know. I, I think I'm um, a little on the left side. It was my senior year in high school, so to date myself, that would have been around 2001. Nice, nice. Well, uh, congratulations to you, Birmingham, for having one of our favorite uh, favorite folks as a resident of your town. We do expect you to build a memorial or a statue, some sort of uh, honorary a memorial. Uh, well, a commemorative uh, thing, you okay. know, a little plaque okay. where it's like so and so lived here. I'm like, do and you then, know something I don't know, Ben? You're freaking me out, man. <laughs> no, no. I'm going somewhere with this, though, because uh, this is what in the business we call a segue. You see, Alabama, like many U.S. states, is very uh, pro-statue, very pro-memorial, very pro-honoring important places, things, and events. And Enterprise Alabama 
is no different. If you find yourself in the town of Enterprise, Alabama, you might be surprised to learn that uh, amidst their statuary, you will find a statue erected in 1919 dedicated to a little bitty beetle known as the Bull Weevil. Yeah, and like when I first heard about this, I was really hoping it was going to be some sort of like, you know, monster movie type massive <laughs> sculpture of a bull weevil. Because, you know, those things, when you see them, they're tiny and not particularly uh, offensive looking. But if you go in with a microscope, they're terrifying. They have crazy mandibles and, you know, really, really like some H.R. Uh, Giger type alien stuff. You know, on their own, not particularly intimidating, but they don't really hang out on their own, do they, Ben? They uh, they swarm. They hang out en masse, and they literally were responsible for decimating more than $23 billion of American cotton, at least in terms of how it translated to profits. And I believe that's with, uh, with inflation considered. That's um, correct. But yeah, it is absolutely wild. They came to this country from Mexico in 1890 and absolutely um, decimated people's livelihoods. So why might you ask, did this town that relied, like I said, so heavily on uh, exporting uh, and selling um, cotton, why would they want to commemorate such a horrible time in their history? Uh, you know, I can understand the statue of Vulcan, you know, I mean, iron, sure. that's their industry. It's something that you want to be proud of and show that it's part of your heritage or whatever. But why the bull weevil? By the way, similar vibes. It is not a massive monster movie bull weevil. It is a Greek goddess yes. uh, that used to be holding a, like, fountain aloft, I believe. But mm -hmm. instead, they removed the fountain and replaced it with the humble bull weevil. Yep. Yep, you will find a statue of this Greek woman with her arms stretched above her head holding a bull. And on top of that is a 50-pound statue of a bull weevil. I should say she's holding a B-O-W-L mm -hmm. and a B-O-L-L weevil is on top of that. This is, I'm, I'm so glad you asked because this, this is the point of today's episode, right? So we were looking into this with some fantastic help from Lorraine Bolsonaro over at Smithsonian, from the good folks at Wall Street Journal, and of course, our pals over at Mental Floss. Fun fact, our research associate, Gabe, used to work for Mental Floss himself. And here's, here's what we found. Like you said, Noel, this statue appears to be celebrating a tremendous economic disaster the 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 havoc, the, the chaos that this creature wrought, not just on Enterprise Alabama, but uh, a large swath of the Southern economy, was so profound that even today, some scholars will argue you can't just measure the cost in terms of finance adjusted for inflation. They say that the bull weevil disaster was one of the sparks that led to what we know as the Great Migration, the movement of 6 million African Americans from the U.S. South to urban areas in the U.S. North. And that makes sense because people have to move where their jobs are and there tend right. to be more jobs in cities. Yeah, it certainly made the uh, folks that, you know, came up with the Industrial Revolution feel like they were pretty smart because <laughs> it was just a couple of folks that came up with that whole thing. It was two Everybody guys. knows that. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, backtracking really quickly, I said they removed the fountain, but in fact, Ben, the fountain was that bowl you speak of. Ah. Um, so they literally just perched the the bowl weevil add-on on top of that of that uh, pre-existing B-O-W bowl. So, so why... 
why is the bull weevil so interested in cotton, Noel? I mean, like to and I think that's part of our that's part of what we have to answer when we're answering how this statue came to be, right? hundred percent. Um, the reason the bull weevil is, uh, such a character in American, um, history is for its insatiable appetite for, and very specialized. Uh, it's a real picky eater. It only likes the, the very silky fibrous bits inside of the bowl of the cotton, which is that seed pod that everything, you know, kind of springs from. Um, it is officially scientifically known as Autonomous Grandis, and as I said earlier, came from Mexico, and it lives uh, pretty much exclusively on uh, cotton plants. Um, and every planting season or every cotton season, uh, the adults feed on the leaves, and then they eat into the cotton it's called the cotton square, which is the bud. Uh, when they say nip it in the bud, that's what they're talking about. But they don't, you don't want to nip the cotton in the bud because if you nip that bud, you get no cotton. So it's the part that happens before the plant flowers. And they lay their eggs. And then those eggs hatch. And it's the little babies, the grubs, that like eat their way out of the cotton bowl from the inside. Like yeah. alien style, like literally like face hugger style. They plant the seed inside of the thing and then it eats its way out, killing the thing in, in the process. And if you're cotton, no one can hear you scream to paraphrase uh, some horror. You're welcome, Max. You're welcome. I saw that. Don't think I'm not watching you when we're recording. <laughs> cotton screams are uh, very muffled. Uh, as <laughs> yeah, it turns they out. are. They're like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, nailed it. Uh, so we know. We know, like you said, Noel, that the the bull weevil originated in Mexico, but we don't really know when and how it got to the U.S. because these little guys can't fly very long distances. They were mm -hmm. first they were first spotted in Texas, like you said, back in 1982. They still have a mysterious origin story in Texas, but we know, despite their lack of long distance transportation. They were incredibly effective. According to Fabian Lang, Alan Olmsted, and Paul W. Rode, uh, three economists who sort of Voltroned up together for this, they, they say that within five years of the bull weevil landing stateside, total cotton production, all of the cotton production in the U.S. declined by at least or around 50%. Totally. And uh, so consequently, land values took a dive and the uh, USDA chief in the Bureau of Plant Industry called them a wave of evil, um, which is not I mean, that's not terribly hyperbolic. I mm -hmm. mean, this really was doing great evil to people's lives and, and their ability to earn for their families. Um, this is in 1903, by the way, and it just got worse by 1920 or the early 1920s. Bull weevils were absolutely wrecking shop in the South. This is really interesting. I didn't know this, but in the Smithsonian Mag article we reference, uh, they talk about the kind of life cycle of the bull weevil. And, you know, in the cold season, they're actually able to hibernate and kind of go dormant in woods, wooded areas nearby. They like to live in things like Spanish moss and even debris, I guess, sort of like dead leaves <laughs> and such. Um, and then they, you know, wake up and find their way back to the fields and just, you know, have a have a real go of it. I'm laughing because uh, the, I think the specific phrase the Smithsonian uses is field trash. And uh, that's what that's what Max, who's a big sports fan, uh, calls it when uh, fans of opposing sports teams make it on to the field. 
Right, Max? Isn't that what you call them? Call them field trash? Abs- absolutely not. I don't know where you get that from. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, when I when I was in Little League Baseball, I was field trash. I was like the, you know, outfielder mm-hmm. that just was a total turd and just didn't really do anything, just kind of stood there. Uh, I would say that would be a, a good example of, of field trash. I was, uh, you know, I, I was in Little League and uh, I caught a fly ball once. That was my, uh, oh, no, wait. And I hit, I, I did hit one home run. So I got one for one and then I was out of the game. You're welcome, other athletes. But, Is that the one where you just kind of stuck your mitt out and it just sort of found its way to you? It's always a beautiful moment in the game, in the, in the movies or whatever, where the kind of ineffectual outfielder gets his moment of glory, literally just by shoving his fist out into the air and it just kind of finds its bro. way right into that mitt. I was so out of it. I was so unexpected for me to actually catch a ball. Cause you know, they stick kids like us in the outfield for a reason. Uh, when I caught the ball, I wasn't sure what to do. I was like, it was like when you get to a new level yeah. of a video That's game. That's just step one. <laughs> Catching the ball is just step right. one. And you're like, wait, what? 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 It's like, it's like if you only yeah. knew the first part of CPR, you know what I mean? You're not getting the job done, but the bull weevils certainly were. And at this point there was path dependency for the farmers, they literally could not afford to move to a different crop. So they tried increasingly desperate solutions to get rid of these weevils. This is happening across uh, the cotton growing area of the U.S. So they said, "Okay, maybe we can get uh, cotton that grows up more quickly. Uh, Maybe we can spray some kinds of early pesticides on this. Maybe we can burn the cotton at the right time. Theodore Roosevelt was even like, I know these pretty nasty ants from Guatemala. They'll probably (laughs) eat weevils. Right? That sounds like a great idea, Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> right. Let's just introduce like murder ants into the <laughs> equation. That'll totally get the job. It's one of those things where it's like the solution ends up being worse than the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing, you know, it seems as though enterprise kind of got wise to this because again we knew about this or at least you know american farmers knew about this for going on 20 years or at this point it was almost 10 years so by 1909 mobile alabama or mobile county alabama rather had started to really feel the sting of the the dreaded bull weevil and uh like many other places in the rural south cotton was their main export their main cash crop and now that they had the weevils in the mix these yields were getting smaller and smaller and smaller High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. 
He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. The numbers nationally really do match up on what was going on uh, more granularly in all these individual areas. For sure. In 1914, the cotton gin at Enterprise, Alabama, processed around 15,000 bales of cotton. And just the next year, in 1915, that number plummeted down to 5,000 bales. This comes to us from Doug Bradley, president of the Pea River Historical and Genealogical Society. It's P-P-E-A, just so you're not thinking this is like a river that everyone pees in. Right, right. Good note, good note. And so this, the, this is strange because According to Wall Street Journal, there was one guy who lived in town named H. Elm Sessions. I can't say it without really leaning into the Southern accent. He was a, I am H. Elm Sessions. Sessions. And That's good. Yeah. He he was a seed broker who you know sold sold uh, seeds to farmers. And he said, "Well, something must be done." And uh, he thought. He, he realized the problem, you know, let's say you're a farmer, you got cotton, you can switch to another crop because the bull weevil has a very specific diet. It's a choosy eater. But the problem is cotton didn't just generate the highest profits. It also grew on land that was unsuitable for a lot of other crops. Right. I mean, that was a thing that was done anyway, I think, like crop rotation where yeah. you would like rotate out crops so that the soil wouldn't get like totally decimated by one particular crop because I think things require different types of new, I don't know. I'm not, a, obviously not a farmer, but I know crop rotation was already a popular method for making sure that you kept your soil in good shape. Mm -hmm. um, so this was more of a move of desperation to be like, okay, we really need to up the ante on this rotation significantly. But you're right, Ben, the soil they were dealing with was sandy and particularly dry uh, soil. So there weren't a ton of other crops that could handle that not incredibly fertile soil. And one of them that could was peanuts. Yeah, exactly. So picture agricultural crops as tenants in a neighborhood. Cotton and peanuts are two of the tenants that can live in a rough neighborhood and still be fine. So our guy, Sessions, goes to visit North Carolina and Virginia, and then he sees peanuts being grown. This is largely, to be sure, due to the efforts of George Washington Carver, Sessions is on board. He gets sold and he comes back. Remember, he's a seed broker. He comes back with peanut seeds. And that's when he sells them to a farmer in the area named C.W. Baston. I can't believe we didn't make this parallel. We just did the episode about the uh, uh, potato evangelist in France. Oh, yeah, yeah. His name is already escaping me, but he kind of was the like potato equivalent of George Washington Carver. Parmentier, I believe. 
That's the man. Um, but you're right. So we know George Washington Carver was all about how diverse and useful and um, versatile the peanut was. So it was already starting to be on the radars of a lot of farmers around the time. And this guy, Baston, is willing to take a gamble on peanuts. He, do- he doesn't just double down. He turns his entire crop toward peanuts. He's not. He's out of the cotton game. He's spending the whole year of 1916 just growing peanuts. And in the end, Noel, he ends up walking away with $8,000 in profit. He could still pay off the debt he had racked up during this ongoing bull weevil disaster and have money left over. If we could inflation calculate we'll see we'll, we'll see some interesting numbers here so uh what do you say we we fire up fire up the old inflation calculator here can i get a boot <laughs> there we go that was yes. a good boop. that was a, a great boot max and uh so if we calculate this now what we see is that eight thousand dollars in 1916 had the purchasing power of get this $199,409.91. Can you believe it? Almost $200,000, basically. Uh, imagine being someone else who's a farmer in enterprise at that area. Like, that is the talk of the town. People who once said, you know, cotton's the way to go are immediately 100% on board with peanuts, right? Yeah, it's true. Uh, and by 1917, farmers in the area produced over a million bushels of peanuts uh, that sold for more than $5 million. And our boy Bradley uh, from the Pea River Society, um, he has memories, actually, of working in the cotton fields when he was a young boy in the 40s and 50s. Because, I mean, it wasn't like things completely pivoted away from cotton. There was still a huge thing, and the bull weevils were absolutely still a scourge that late in the game in the 1940s and 50s. But he remembers seeing how awful it was. And he said by that point, Enterprise uh, uniquely had diversified even beyond peanuts into potatoes, sugarcane, tobacco, and sorghum. I always forget exactly what sorghum is. You can use it to make bread. Uh, You can use it in couscous. Uh, You can also make some different kinds of beverages with it. And some people eat it as a fresh vegetable. Yeah, it looks kind of like a grain, I guess. It comes off the the buds uh, in these tiny little pods that almost look like couscous already or like uh, a risotto or something. Right, exactly. And so people were people were into this and they had experienced a financial rebound. Folks looked around and said, you know, we wouldn't have reached this level of success or diversity if we hadn't been forced to change our tune due to the bull weevil. So as peanuts become you know, number one with a bang in Coffee County, where Enterprise Alabama is located, there's a guy who comes in the picture named Roscoe Owen Fleming. And he says, and we think he was joking at first, by the way, he says, you know what we should do? We should really just own up to it. The bull weevil saved the town, right, folks? Let's make a statue about it. <laughs> and and uh, he's, even though he said this is a joke, it caught on. And you know how those conversations go. Eventually, Fleming is like doubling down. He's the guy who buys that original statue of the Grecian woman, uh, and he gets it from Italy. And I think originally, Noel, she was holding something else over her head, right? 
Aha, Ben. See, I, I I shouldn't have corrected myself in the first place. So there was something else in the bowl before the weevil made its appearance. And it was like a trophy. And so the trophy is what the fountain was. And the bowl just caught the excess Ooh. overflow water. Um, so, okay, I was I was right in the first place. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, it, that's exactly right. Uh, it was this kind of flowing, classic Greek goddess type figure holding this trophy over, over her head. And there were two street lights next to it and kind of an array that lit up this, uh, you know, column, um, that she was standing on. Uh, it was around 13 feet tall and it was $3,000 to erect at the time, including materials. Uh, today that'd be roughly a 40 grand. And it was personally paid out of Fleming's own pocket for the most part. Yeah. Talk about committing to the bit, huh? Now we've Mm -hmm. had, we've had our own kind of in jokes that we go with, but I don't think any of us has ever put 40 grand down on it yet. We'll see. So (laughs) you're absolutely right. December 11th, 1919, there's a dedication ceremony. A ton of people show up, 5,000 people. Uh, George Washington Carver was scheduled to speak at it about the, you know, thanking the bull weevil, extolling the glory of the peanut. But unfortunately, floods complicated his transit and he wasn't unable to make it, but they still partied. It wasn't until 30 years after this dedication ceremony that someone said, hey, you know, it's weird. We got a statue. It's all about the bull weevil, but we don't have a bull weevil on our bull weevil appreciation statue. Yeah, so they popped one up there, um, and uh, it kind of made it a bit of a target for vandals and, you know, people wanting to pull pranks and all that. So it was something that was on occasion uh, damaged, and it actually has been stolen, which is interesting. I wonder how how they have just, like, pried it off or whatever. That seems like a lot of effort. It does. It does. And it's weird what what people will do to vandalize statues. You know, my grandfather's— Region, was a regional sculptor, and uh, he had a statue in a bank where somebody stole the head. He suspected mm-hmm. uh, frat bros. But yeah, so this was this was stolen, and the, the original one was first stolen in the 1950s. It was never found, which means the odds are that there is someone, maybe even in Enterprise, Alabama, who has a 50-pound statue of a bull weevil today. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. 
because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. It reminds me of, uh, isn't there a plot in The Simpsons where the statue yes. of Jebediah Springfield's head is removed? Yes, yes, you're spot on, which just shows us that this is a not uh, uncommon practice. And so what what the city did when the original guy was stolen is they said, all right, we're going to replace this bull weevil. We're going to make it larger. We're going to make it more anatomically correct. And uh, several, you know, a couple decades passed, 1974, thieves strike again, but this time they don't steal just the bull weevil, do they, Noel? It's true. Yeah, we're talking the 70s now. Seems like they, they had a good little period of, of peace toward the statue. But in uh, 1974, <laughs> you know, in the same way they needed to double down by making a bigger and better bull weevil, the thieves had to double down too. You know, they had to one up their uh, their predecessors, and they didn't just steal the weevil; they stole the whole damn thing, the whole statue. Which Insane. is impressive, just objectively. Very impressive. You know yeah, what I just mean? Just log- logistically, it's uh, it's it would be a real feat to pull off, and not to get caught in the act. Right? That's a lot. Yeah. You'd have to get a jackhammer or something to get that thing out of the ground. This is much more difficult than that heist of potatoes that we talked about in our Parmentier episode, you know, where we where we got together and the guards let us get away. These guys made off with a whole statue. Anyhow, and they get it. The, the town gets it back, but it's badly damaged because it turns out, you know, stealing a statue under cover of night is, is kind of tough and you have to move mm-hmm. quickly. 1981, just the bug gets stolen. They just again. take the weevil again, again. And it also disappears, which means I posit that it is possible someone, maybe in the area of Enterprise, Alabama, has not one, but two ginormous statues of a bull weevil. At this point, it's probably getting weird when you have to explain that to your friends as they come over. <laughs> no joke. Or it's a point of pride and you have it like prominently featured in your living room. They or call me like the weevil. Man cave. Yeah, exactly. Why is that? Well, do come into the parlor. I believe a, a gander will explain it all. Because they still talk like that in 1998, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is where we are now, um, because they they finally were like, you know, the people that have to deal with this stuff, understandably, were a little bit fed up. So they moved it to a museum, you know, so it could be, like, guarded. Um, and in its place, they created a resin replica that was made from a cast that was used to make another replica as a submission to the Southern History Exhibit at the 1996 Summer Olympics here in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, and uh, B. Oh, and by the way, it was also stolen again in 1992. Like this went on for a while. Uh, but the resin 
Uh, the resin replica seems to be the solution here. And if you are planning to make your own bull weevil heist, do be warned. The bull weevil statue in Enterprise, Alabama is now monitored 24-7 by security cameras, which I think means there just might be a real Max can get a dumb sound crime movie sound cue, bull weevil force. Law yeah, and order, sure. bull weevil. What it's very specific. It's very specific. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't but apparently, know it went yeah. to seven seasons. No, you wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> it, it did seem like it jumped the shark, though, around season three. That's true. I'm not going to lie. It seems like they were coasting a little bit. But it's, uh, it's a really interesting story. And today, the bull weevil is still a thing. Like, we didn't completely eradicate the, this uh, the species of insect that, you know, feeds exclusively on the cotton, the copious amounts of cotton that are still planted and harvested in the uh, the South today, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. This this is a serious issue, and it's gone on for decades. And eventually, scientists realized that they could influence insects' behaviors by exposing them to synthetic pheromones. These pheromones were used to lure the weevils into traps, and then from there, they were sprayed with pesticides. Thankfully, the weevil has been eradicated from 98% of the what's called the cotton land, where they grow cotton in the U.S. and in parts of northern Mexico. Yeah, but that 2% still, like, they're the Terrible. most hardcore of the weevils because yeah. they're obviously, what, resistant? Or they just, you know, you can't lure me with those fake, you know, ooh-la-la scents. No, no, thank you. I will eat your cotton uh, if you please. It's funny that it's 98%. I mean, that's practically 100%, but I still got to wonder about this last remaining 3%, the last stand of the bull weevil. You know, it's funny, Ben, in my hometown in Augusta, Georgia, which I don't believe was necessarily a huge cotton producing town, but there's a little cafe called the Bull Weevil, mm -hmm. and they have a really lovely selection of cakes and pies. Um, Are and they they're, they're, shape, shaped like Bull Weevils? Not the pies or the cakes, no, but they have a little cartoon Bull Weevil mascot that I always thought was very, uh, let's just say hideous, <laughs> um, but it's something I remember growing up, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is like a tongue-in-cheek way of acknowledging something that was, you know, ultimately very disastrous, but it seems like Enterprise Alabama, and with a name like Enterprise, you gotta be enterprising. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like they made a, uh, they turned lemons into lemonade, or bull weevils into weevinade. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a thing. Oh, no, I agree. I, I thought you landed that one. The, the also, uh, a lot of this is coming from a professor of entomology at North Carolina State University named Dominic Riesig, uh, who is a go-to authority on this. And you can find him interviewed in the Smithsonian that we mentioned earlier, as well as, as several other places. For him, for Riesig, this is a story of a town beating the odds, beating enormous odds, and also getting assistance from government, from scientists. Everybody was on board with fixing this problem, which doesn't always happen. So there's a lot of fortune in here uh, wrapped up in this misfortune. And if you ask Bradley, the Pea River story we mentioned earlier, we ask, if you ask him what the lesson is, what the takeaway is, he would say, so many people think, why did you build a statue to honor something that did so much destruction? It was more to recognize the fact that the bull weevil caused farmers to seek a better cash crop to replace cotton. 
You know, and to this day, Enterprise is really leaning into that history. And it's also kind of lucky because you know how a lot of statues and monuments <laughs> that we're so fond of here in the South uh, getting pulled down because it turns out they're a little more than a little racist. Uh, not a racist bone in the um, stone body that is the Bull Weevil statue. Yeah, yeah. And Alabama is still a big producer of peanuts. And if you go to Enterprise right now, Enterprise Alabama, not the rental car place, then you can still see this statue. And uh, you can find pictures of it online. It's, uh, it's, it's an interesting reason to build a statue. And honestly, I, I think it's a pretty cool reason. I think Roscoe would be impressed that his joke had uh, expanded uh, so well over the decades. And, you know, another thing we love in the South is a good summer festival. Uh, and they have one there in Enterprise, uh, the annual Bull Weevil Fall Festival. Oh, we have fall. A fall or a summer festival, whatever. They're both equally good. Prefer a fall festival, personally, because the weather's nicer. But uh, that is on October 16th uh, of this year. So if you want to, uh, you can go on over to uh, visitenterprise.com and look up vendors and all that good stuff. We'll be at the 2021 Bull Weevil Festival. So mark your calendars, folks, and let us and let us know if you have any stories that are similar to this from your neck of the global woods. What a ride, Noel. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a bull weevil in person. Have you? No, but you say what a ride, and I immediately picture like a, a bull weevil themed, you know, mm. tilt-a-whirl at the uh, the bull weevil festival. That'd be fun. It's funny you say that. I've been trying to figure out a, a, a place to pitch this, so I'll just do it now as we're wrapping up. You know how there are all these amusement parks, right? I was thinking, what do you, what do you guys think of like, a confusement park. Go on. <laughs> so, so like, <laughs> tell me that's not where the pitch ends. Please. <laughs> there's, there's bigger stuff. Max, put your hand out. There's, uh, there, there's more to it than that. I am just still working out some of the details. You know, what are the rides like? What is, like you you could go a million directions. Well, it reminds me of this really cool art collective called Meow Wolf mm -hmm. that started out just doing like this one particular installation in uh, San Antonio, Texas, or Santa Fe, rather, excuse me, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, they did this like basically weird, artsy, psychedelic haunted house that got so popular that George R.R. R. Martin caught wind of it and like bought them a bowling alley. So they did essentially what you're describing, sort of an indoor, uh, weird Alice in Wonderland type art slash amusement situation. And they got so popular, there's actually a documentary about this collective, that they have gone completely corporate and they have like a fake grocery store in uh, Vegas that's mm. like, I forget what it's called, but it's like got all the products are weird and psychedelic and strange and very like that, um, what's that thing they used to do? The deep dream, you know? Like yeah, the, googly the weird eye. filtered googly eye, like uh, psychedelic dogs on everything. Not quite like that, uh, but it's got um, definitely like, it's like an Alice in Wonderland grocery store and then they have ones in dubai and there's ones in i believe la anyway it's a massive undertaking so they might have beaten you to the punch on the confusement park ben but ah, i'm sure that you can come up with something name. to make it stand alone no you're right the name, <laughs> we got we uh, got the name we're gonna we're gonna uh ask you for help ridiculous stories as always thank you for tuning in uh if you're with me al wolf you know let's have a conversation if you're george rr R. martin uh or if you're just a fan of a show let us know uh what should be in a confusement park very interested to hear the uh very interested to hear the answers and nola i hope that 
Meow Wolf uh, builds a builds a little pop up over here in our fair metropolis of Atlanta, Georgia. These are really high production value and like, you know, permanent installations, but they do do little one off events here and there. So that would be super cool. But yeah, let us know. What are your confusement park ideas? What are your experiences with the bull weevil or like farming or whatever? You can write us. It's true. We've confirmed this uh, at ridiculous at iheartmedia.com. Uh, swear to God, it works. Give it a try. Test us. Put us to the test. You can also find us on the internet. We've got the Ridiculous Historians Facebook group. It's a lot of fun meme sharing and just conversations around new episodes and all of that. And you can also find Ben and I individually as human people on the internet. I am at How Now Noel Brown on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram as well, getting into all kinds of misadventures at my handle, at Ben Bullen, B-O-W-L-I-N. Thanks as always to Casey Pegram. Thanks as always to Max Williams. Uh, and I got I got to say it. Thanks to our own bull people who made the town of our show a little bit better. Yep. Who, uh, Jonathan Strickland? Yeah, that's, that's where I was going. Where were you going? Because he eats us alive from the inside? Yes, yes. We're overdue to hang out with him again. Yep. Overdue indeed. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The following is a high five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.